It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 220. Woo. Binafi, bienvenidos, bitches, and thank you so much for being here and listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered and the victims. Because contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers, wait a minute, this can't be right. They're not all straight, <laughs> cisgender, able-bodied white dudes. What? what? Oh my God, I can't believe this. Well, mm-hmm. yes, it's true. And these crimes rarely get any public attention because the news is racist, allegedly. And I mean, if you believe Nikki Haley, nothing's racist. But the news, <laughs> the news is racist, allegedly. In our opinion, yes. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. Hey, we're not. Hey, hey, hey! You, you, you wait a minute I'm there. I'm trying to race over that you one. You are. Wait a minute <laughs> yeah. there, friend. Yes, yes, yes. You are a white woman, but you're one of those. You're one of those good ones, right? Well, thanks. You don't take your discomfort and weaponize it. You don't. You're not out here no. calling the police on nine year old girls trying to sell no, water. Not yet. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Just kidding. Just kidding. You're learning. Just like all of us. She's learning and trying to be better. And I just appreciate Beth so much for that. So she's an ally. Thanks. And we're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. All right. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Well, our subject today is Jorge Avila Torres. He liked to be called George. So I'm going to say George from now on. Okay. And when he was a teenager, he killed two little girls in his hometown of Zion, Illinois. He initially got away with it and went on to kill one woman and then assaulted three others. Mm. And this case was suggested to us by our fruity Olivia G. Oh, thank you so much, Olivia. Shout out to Olivia. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Olivia. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we get into it, how you doing? I'm doing good. Just trying to get through this month at work. Oh. There's just 
a lot of shit going on. Yeah. Uh, once this month is over, it'll slow down a little bit. And I might be coming down with my first cold since 2020. So oh my gosh, four years no cold? Wow. Four years no cold, not one. That's remarkable. And, uh, That's remarkable. Yeah. My grandson was over and uh, he had a cold and now I have a sore throat and I feel like I'm coming down with something. No. So I think I finally got one. <laughs> oh no. Well, we'll add healing to the prayer list for Beth. Well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I will say I am so fucking sick of this goddamn winter weather. <laughs> it, Hotlanta, Hotlanta who? No, it got down to zero degrees Fahrenheit wow. during the day. Wow. Ice, fog. I mean, this weather is nuts. So is that really unusual? For it to be this cold? Yeah. Yeah, hmm. there was like an Arctic blast <laughs> that came our way. Oh, I, I'm sure it I came see. from Canada. It's Canada's fault. Anyway, it's <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But oh man, it's been so cold. Oh my gosh. Just, I feel like I haven't, my bones haven't been able to yeah, warm up. I know, up. I know what yeah, that means. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, summer couldn't get here soon enough. Now let's get into some listener <laughs> letters. All right. Well, hello, angels. <sighs> Thank you. Hmm. Ah, yes. What's in that bag, Ben? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Caitlin for your beautiful email. Ooh, yes. It was so sweet. Caitlin, thank you so much for your email. Going to give you a hip-hop air horn because we really, really appreciate when you all get at us. Yeah. And uh, let us know your thoughts, what you're feeling, what's going on. Hey, friend, something as simple as that. We love it. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, and please send your emails, questions, or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com, or you could leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we might feature it on a future episode, but if you don't want us to, just let us know when we want. Yeah, you got to tell us. Also, no new Patreons this week, but for all of our Patreons who have supported us throughout the years. We are so grateful. The ones who fell off and yeah. came back, the ones who subscribed and were like, I don't like the shit. Thanks anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> we get we have lots of bonus content, but we're trying something new with our Fruit Loops Happy Hour. And hopefully yeah. you can join us. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, well, let's take a quick break and then we'll get into the story when we come back. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. 
What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. We're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Our subject today is George Avila Torres, who killed two little girls and one woman. His case opened up a can of worms in Lake County, Illinois, mm. when an innocent man was tried and convicted for the murders of the girls. Yeah, that, I think that's the one of the wildest aspects of this case, which yeah, we'll get into. It is. But for now, yep. um, let's move on to the love and light section of our show, where we just want to say rest in paradise to the victims. And love and light to those who cared about them who are left in the wake of this tragic case. So the victims are Laura Hobbs, who was an eight-year-old girl from Illinois. Her best friend, Crystal Tobias, who was a nine-year-old girl from Illinois. And Amanda Jean Snell, who was a 20-year-old Navy officer stationed in Virginia. So now we're going to get into the setting because normally unrepresented folks in true crime don't get any context. So we're going to give you some here. We're going to the setting. Take us there, Beth. Okay. <laughs> so the setting is Zion in northeastern Illinois, about 40 miles north of Chicago. Zion lies along Lake Michigan near the Wisconsin border, and the area was originally inhabited by the Potawatomi. The name Zion, and I didn't know this was a real place. I saw Zion. I was like, oh, the Lord Hill song? Lauren Hill's baby? <laughs> now the joy of my world is in Zion. Um, and I, I don't know if I will be able to prevent myself from doing that during this from episode. Singing so that. <laughs> be forewarned. <laughs> sorry, <everybody. laughs> sorry. But the name Zion refers to both a hill in the city of Jerusalem and to the city itself. But it's also used in a general way to mean holy place or kingdom of heaven. The city was founded in July 1901 by John Alexander Dowie, a Scots Australian evangelical minister and faith healer who migrated to the United States in 1888. <laughs> <laughs> so Dowie traveled up and down the West Coast of the United States for several years, hmm. but then he ran into legal difficulties. Oh, So this guy was a bit of a scammer. Ooh, yeah. I love a good scam. What kind? <laughs> um, he was, as you mentioned, a faith healer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's a minister, faith healer, collecting money, ah. supposedly healing people. Mm. And he apparently defrauded two wealthy women in California oh. and ended up in court. Uh oh. And then he promptly moved to Chicago in 1890. Because why not? <laughs> um, you know, Chicago, they call, I thought they called it the Windy City because it's windy and cold. But right. That's what I thought it's too. It's totally not. It's because of the uh, shiftiness the of the politics. Yeah. So yeah. 
Yeah, I remember you told me yeah. that once before. So Chicago's a perfect place for this man. Anyway, Dow- <laughs> Dowie chose Chicago because, well, this is what he says, nigga. It was where the World's Fair was being held. And he took advantage of the crowds to promote his faith and healing ministry. Hallelujah. And Dowie <laughs> performed many a healings. It became a sensation following his healing of Sadie Cody, a niece of Buffalo Bill Cody, a celebrity of the era known for his Wild West show. Yep. And he was able to build up a large following. And in 1896, he organized the Christian Catholic Apostolic Church in Zion Hmm. in Chicago. He accumulated funds from the faithful and bought 6,500 acres of land north of Chicago in Lake County. For the people. For the people, yes. Uh Okay. Okay. (laughs) Doe intended to create a planned utopia and he named it Zion City. Hmm. Well, I wonder if. All would have been welcome at this Zion City utopia in 1896. Who's to say? My guess Let's is no. <laughs> so <laughs> he built up a church of around 10,000 in Chicago, many of whom followed him to nearby Zion City in 1901. Dowie envisioned that the city would be run in accordance with Christian ethics. Now, those are white Christian ethics. <laughs> now, his congregation was multinational and multiracial and included many middle-class and upper-class members. Whoa! I didn't expect to see that. Wow. Yeah, I know. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, but I think he was just an equal opportunity scammer. Oh, you know who I learned? (laughs) Because when you you don't segregate, you get twice the profits, really. Exactly. You see what I mean? Yeah, more people. Exactly, more dollars. If your dollar's green, you're welcome here. Dollar, dollar bill, (laughs) y'all. Oh, my gosh. Hang on a second. (laughs) MC Beth in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you can continue. Sorry. Okay, continuing on. (laughs) So Zion City was to serve as a refuge for many social problems, like racism, Mm. troubling American cities at the time, Mm. and the same problems attracting the attention of contemporary progressive era reformers. While progressive era reformers viewed these problems as evidence of social, economic, and political dysfunction, Dowie saw them as evidence of religious and moral decay. Dowie welcomed all Christians who were willing to accept his beliefs, regardless of race, education, position, or wealth. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, it does. I have mixed feelings because I know this guy is a con man, but some of these things are pretty cool. But then there's other things he does that are not so cool. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, it, yeah, he's a truly complicated character. He is, yeah. So he defended interracial marriage wow. and was an advocate for women's suffrage. Oh and this God. was in like the early 1900s, yeah. Wow. Approximately 200 Black members were among the original settlers of Zion City, and there is evidence that Black families moved to Zion City to seek refuge from the racism of the outside world. Wow. Dowie established a theocratic political and economic structure that prohibited smoking, drinking, eating pork, swine, and shellfish. Among other things, yeah. Members were not permitted to visit theaters or dance halls, and the practice of any form of modern medicine was prohibited. Since Dowie preached that sin is what caused disease and death, and the mainstay of his church was faith healing. Yeah, so you can't have a doctor. Medicine? (laughs) Let me just lay these hands on you. Amen? (laughs) Healed. Everyone in Zion City was expected to work, and 10% of a member's salary was to be returned to the church as a tithe. 
The main industry of Zion was lace or lace making. Oh. Doey bought lace machines from England and brought in lace makers. Oh. In 1906, at least 7,500 people lived in Zion City. Much of Dowie's revenue came from the tithing. By the early 1890s, he was making $30,000 a year from tithes. That's mega church money. And by the turn of the century, $250,000 annually. Holy shit. Yeah. Dowie built a mansion for himself and his family, costing $90,000. And that's $3 million in today's dollars, by the way. Holy cow. Called Shiloh House. It had three stories and 25 rooms. Wow. Wow. Man. Yeah. So $90,000 is $3 million in today's dollars. Uh-huh. So he was making $250,000 annually. Mm-hmm. That's like almost $10 million. A year. A year. Yeah. 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 He, that is yeah. He would. He would be, a, he's a one percenter for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but guess what? What? There was never enough money for Doey. No? Hmm. <laughs> no. He also engaged in various other methods of petty swindling. Oh. He established a range of businesses in Zion City and forced his followers to deposit their money in Zion Bank, oh. which was under his control. Oh. He also sold stock in an array of Zion's businesses, which eventually proved worthless. Oh, no. Yeah. The scale of his enterprises ended up getting away from him, and both he and Zion City ended up bankrupt at his death in 1907. His successor was Wilbur Glenn Voliva, who was considerably less popular than Dowie. Hmm. Although Voliva got the city into some financial order, he alienated many of the people that had supported Dowie due to his personality and his insistence that the earth was flat. Oh, come on, bro. He was a There's flat already so much evidence to the contrary by then. Wow. <laughs> and Voliva made the schools of Zion City teach flat earth doctrine. Oh, no. And issued a challenge to anyone to prove him wrong for $5,000, but only under the rules that he created. Oh, <laughs> no. Gosh, that is, it reminds me of, it's Moms for Liberty. Let's just. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in 1918, the name of the town was changed from Zion City to Zion. And in 1935, the town ceased to be governed as a true theocracy. Voliva was removed from power. Good. And the city subsequently welcomed new churches and industry. The Christian Catholic Church schools were closed in 1939, after which a modern educational system was developed. Little remains of the original city of Zion built by Doey, except for a handful of Zion's original buildings, including Doey's house, a small chapel, a hotel, and remnants of the lace factory. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So Zion is now primarily residential and is known for its parks, beaches, and forest preserves. The lack of industry in Zion and its distance from larger cities like Chicago and Milwaukee made housing cheap. And it is mostly a blue-collar suburb. Today, Zion is home to approximately 24,500 people. The majority race in Zion overall is Latinx, making up about 35% of residents. Mm. 34% are white and 24% are black. Mm. There is a very large Mexican-American community in the Chicago and metropolitan area. And Illinois and Chicago's Mexican-American community is the largest outside of the Western United States. Yeah, I had no idea. I thought that was fascinating. Me neither. That is really cool. But let's get into the early life of Jorge Avila Torres. 
So Jorge Avila Torres, who prefers to be called George, was born on August 18th in 1988 in Zion, Illinois. His parents had emigrated from Mexico. His father worked in a cardboard factory and his mother was a homemaker, an ama de casa. His attorney later said that he had an abusive childhood, but we have no particulars about that and do not know the veracity of that claim. Yeah, considering what he did later, it, it, it could makes be true, but sense. We, we just don't yeah, know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We don't know. But according to his childhood friend, Alberto Saguera, George did not like being at home. He lived with his parents and older sister, Sarah, who he was close to. The family lived in a two-story house on Gabriel Avenue in Zion, two blocks from Beulah Park. According to Alberto, as a teenager, George was personable. If awkward in conversation, his only interests appeared to be bikes, girls, and his collection of knives and throwing stars. Childhood friends said George could often be seen riding around his neighborhood on his mountain bike. Another childhood friend, Sarah Cernock, said, quote, he was kind of an outcast. It was like he was there, but he wasn't there, unquote. Mm. Alberto said that George talked about girls, but was inept at talking to them and flirting. Mm. None of his friends remembered him having a relationship. Alberto said George seemed jealous of his ability to attract girls. And he would sometimes ask him, you know, how, how do you do that? Yeah. Although the girls were not impressed by George, he did impress some adults. He didn't drink or smoke cigarettes, and he stayed out of trouble. Alberto's mom liked George, and George often went to Alberto's house to visit him and his siblings, one of whom was Alberto's younger half-sister, Crystal Tobias. So now let's get into the timeline. Hit it, Beth. On May 8, 2005, which was Mother's Day, mm. Crystal Tobias, who was nine at the time, and her best friend, Laura Hobbs, who was eight, went out to play on their bicycles. School officials described Laura Hobbs as an active reader who enjoyed acting out stories with puppets and Crystal Tobias as artistic. Mm. And they both enjoyed playing outside. Lovely. Yeah. Avila Torres, who was 16 at the time, lived in the neighborhood. And as we mentioned, he was acquainted with the girls since he was friends with Crystal's older half-brother, Alberto. The girls did not return home that evening. So the family began looking for them and eventually called the police. After a frantic night of searching, at around 6 a.m., Laura's father, Jerry, found the girls' bodies in a remote wooded area of Beulah Park. So just a quick detail about the girls going out and playing during the day. Apparently, you know, it was Mother's Day, so there was a lot of families and kids out playing at the time. I think the girls were on a single bike, the kind that had the posts. Oh, okay. So one was sitting in the chair and, and the seat and pedaling, and the other right. one was standing on those posts. Oh, the pegs. Yeah, the pegs. Pegs, yeah. And you would think it would be a safe place for young kids if yeah. there's families and moms yeah. and dads around and other kids. We used to play outside like all day long when I was a kid. Really? So, yeah, I think yeah. that sounds wonderful. I don't, I, I have always just loved sitting inside and watching soap operas more than <laughs> playing outside. I'm sorry. That's my truth. But I love that for you I, I don't, and all children. <laughs> I don't think it, we had a choice. Mom was like, uh, get out. Oh, no. Oh, my. <laughs> go play. That's, that was always my worst nightmare. And my like my parents were like, go outside. I'm, oh, my. No. Like, my programs. <laughs> yeah. My we, stories. We were, not, we were not watching TV. <laughs> There wasn't much on when I was a kid anyway. Oh, but, and I feel so bad for you about that. Oh, 
Oh no, we had a blast playing outside. Oh, you did. Oh, it was fun. Oh, oh good. yeah. Oh, good. yeah. It was a lot of fun. Because <laughs> for yeah. me, it was torture. Anyway, <laughs> so back to the story. Apologies. So the girls were found in a remote wooded area of Beulah Park, and they were found lying on their backs, fully clothed, with multiple stab wounds and bruises, particularly around their necks and faces. Laura had been stabbed 20 times and Crystal had been stabbed 11 times. There was also a significant amount of male DNA found. Police immediately focused on Jerry Hobbs as a suspect because he had a felony record. Which I, I understand why they initially thought of it him as sense. a suspect. It makes sense. Yeah. But they shouldn't have focused only tunnel on vision. They, exactly. They tunnel, tunnel vision. Exactly. Tunnel vision. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. So Jerry Hobbs had moved to Zion in the spring of 2005 after a two-year stint in a Texas prison for chasing a rival for his girlfriend's affections with a chainsaw. What now? Oh, my hmm? God. Can you, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. That would be I- terrifying. Exactly. Exactly. And are chainsaws gas powered? So you you don't have to be like plugged into something. Some of them are. Yeah. Some of them are are electric. He was he probably had a gas powered one because it'd be hard to chase somebody around with a chainsaw that's plugged in. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's what that that was like in my head. Oh, this would be over as soon as he got far enough away from the socket. (laughs) But, but, But maybe not. Um, so his plan was to reconcile with his girlfriend, who was now living in Zion, and to become reacquainted with his three children. But weeks later, Laura was dead. Jerry was brought back to the Zion police station by 7.30 that morning, and the questioning began. Investigators thought it was suspicious that an ex-convict who was new to the area discovered the bodies before local residents and the police and they thought his reaction to finding the bodies was odd, and they felt that his grief seemed insincere. I hate when people yeah. say that that they yeah. that somebody's not grieving in the way that they think is appropriate in the right in the way. Right way. Yeah. Fuck off. But yeah. also, okay, maybe it was suspicious that he found the body. But did anybody think this guy's been away for a long time? I mean, he wants to do the right thing, so he wants to find his daughter. He was so And he so was searching motivated. all night long. Yeah. So, so what? Yeah. I mean, I just shame on the police on this one. Yeah. Following an interrogation that spanned about 24 hours, Hobbs confessed. He signed a confession stating that when he went to get Laura to come home, the girls resisted. Then Crystal pulled out a small knife and the two girls attacked him. Hobbs said that he hit them both and eventually got the knife from Crystal and began stabbing her, then stabbed Laura. He was charged with the murders and prosecutors vowed to seek the death penalty. Side note, uh, did you hear the confession? I didn't. Oh, I don't think I could it listen was, to it. It was gut-wrenching. It was so yeah. brutal to listen to, especially, you know, us knowing that he didn't do it. Knowing that he didn't do and it. And he's yeah. clearly in distress. I mean, severely grieving. And it seemed obvious to me that it was just so painful for him to read the confession that they fed to him. We don't know what happened before the confession tape was turned on. Right. And he, I didn't think he did it just by how he sounded. Yeah. yeah. So Hobbs later said that he confessed to the crime because he hadn't slept in days and figured that the truth would come out. He said, quote, I found my daughter. I was already broken. They didn't have to break me. Unquote. So they didn't have to do anything to get. Yeah. He was already broken. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And understandably so. Mm. You're right. Right. So two years after his arrest, a private lab hired by his lawyers discovered that sperm had been found on Laura's body, and they tested a sample. 
The defense lawyers immediately announced that the DNA analysis showed that the DNA did not match Hobbs. So they let him out of prison, right? No. Eh. State prosecutor Mike Murmel didn't care. And that's a thing that prosecutors do sometimes, that are this win at all costs. Right, which is bullshit. It is. It's not a game. You're not playing a game with people's Mm -hmm, lives. mm -hmm. It's not win at all costs. You're trying to get at the truth, asshole. Right, and do the right thing. Yeah. By them sticking to this win at all costs mentality. Stupid story. Yeah, that it's a miscarriage of justice and they should lose their jobs. I mean, this. Yeah. God. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. So he suggested that Laura could have got the sperm on her while playing in the woods. What? Where he's, aren't you a learned lawyer with a lot, like a smart lawyer person? Anyway, where he said couples went to have sex. Hobbs remained in jail awaiting trial for more than two years. In the meantime, the DNA records were put into a nationwide database, and periodically, the state DNA forensic examiner would check for a match. So I didn't go into the details of how the bodies were found or anything like that. I know, I know. You can look it up if you really want to. But uh, one thing that I think is important is that the sperm wasn't found just on her body. She was raped. Okay, okay. So... Just playing in the woods wouldn't have wouldn't, gotten it That would not there. happen. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. And it also, no. not only is it the DA or the prosecutor, it's a miscarriage of justice for the girls because they wasted years yes. not going yes. after somebody. And essentially... Other people in the community. And, exactly. and the, the women who were attacked later mm-hmm. and the one woman who Right. Died. And also, I think, victimizes unfairly the girls who were sexually assaulted. Like, yeah. sort of blaming. It's, it's It feels victim blaming. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it does. I'm just saying. They were just playing in the they, woods. Yeah. yeah. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, Then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download. American Vigilante, now.
the time Avila Torres was in high school, he had begun getting into trouble. Mm. He skipped class routinely, and when he was a senior, he was kicked out of school for marijuana possession. Mm. He then went to an alternative school in Waukegan before graduating in 2006, and then he joined the Marines. After a few months in the Corps, Avila Torres was shipped to Okinawa, Japan for a two-year hitch. Avila Torres and his friend De Carlos Jones passed time by playing video games and going to bars near the base. According to De Carlos, Torres was fun to be around and, quote, down to earth, unquote. But, De Carlos said, a marine base can resemble a high school, and Avila Torres, who was a smaller guy and looked very young, was bullied somewhat by the more popular Marines. I guess it makes sense, right, that yeah. in any small community or, like, microcosm, there There's can... going to be, especially the military, right. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in April 2009, Avila Torres was assigned to an administrative job in the Washington area and moved into the Keith Hall barracks at Joint Base Meyer-Henderson Hall, a military base located near Arlington, Virginia. And when I said Washington, I meant Washington, D.C., not the state. Oh, bitches. yeah. Wa the Washington, <laughs> D.C. area. Yeah. And this the name of this base, Joint Base Meyer-Henderson Hall. So sorry. It's so long. <laughs> but it is. Yeah. That is <laughs> and I had to I was very confused because they lived in Keith Hall. OK. And, and then it's Joint Base Meyer-Henderson Hall. So I don't I don't know why, but Keith Hall was the barracks inside the base. OK. Got you. OK. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. You're welcome. So another person who lived in Keith Hall was 20-year-old Navy Petty Officer Amanda Jean Snell. Amanda was from a military family. In high school, she was active in ROTC, and after graduation, she enlisted in the Navy. She did basic training in Great Lakes, Illinois, then attended the Navy and Marine Corps Intelligence Training Center in Virginia Beach. Ooh, this girl's a star. Yeah. In the fall of 2008, Amanda was assigned to the office of the Chief of Naval Operations at the Pentagon. Wow. And moved into Keith Hall Barracks at Joint Base Meyer-Henderson Hall. She made few friends at the barracks, which housed Marines, sailors, and a few Air Force personnel. They all wanted to party hard, and she didn't. Amanda volunteered as a youth minister and worked with autistic children at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. She just loved children and planned to transition from the military into a job teaching special education. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Yeah. Amanda was scheduled to work on Monday, July 13th, 2009, but she did not report for duty and word went out to check her room. The door was unlocked. The bed was made. The room was tidy, but Amanda was found wedged into her wall locker, a pillowcase over her head. She was dead. So a wall locker is kind of like a metal closet. Ah, okay. Yeah, and so it's not in the wall. It's like on the wall. Ah, got you. Like a wardrobe. The lion, the yeah, witch, and like the wardrobe. Yeah, it's like a wardrobe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The Naval Criminal Investigative Service, or NCIS, arrived at 7.45 a.m. and began an investigation. Agents conducted a walkthrough and inventory. They took the temperature of the room and Amanda's body. The medical examiner believed that Amanda had been dead for 24 to 36 hours or maybe more. Agents took photographs and impressions of shoe prints on the vinyl floor in front of the wall locker. Amanda's laptop was missing, as was her iPod. Oh, remember those? Yeah. Agents noticed that the bed was made with only a fitted sheet and a comforter, but the top sheet was missing. Avila Torres lived down the hall from Amanda. 
He, like others who lived near her, complied with NCIS's request to complete a personal data sheet in which he indicated that he did not know her Mm. and had never been in her room. Mm. He also consented to a search of his room and gave a DNA sample. So they had his DNA. Yeah. Wow. I don't think I realized that detail (laughs) until you you said that. So an autopsy showed no bruising on signs of struggle. Tests determined that there was no sexual assault, no rape, no indication of sexual activity. Amanda's family and friends told NCIS investigators that she suffered from migraines and that one way she would ease the pounding was to curl up in a dark place and put a sheet or pillowcase over her head. She also had a slight heart defect. So, yeah, I suffer from migraines, too, Mm. and I do like a dark room, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I don't think she would go into her wall locker. Right. When you're feeling sick like that, you you go to bed. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. This has been Migraine Corner with Beth. <laughs> yeah, you might I don't cover have migraines. Your... I don't. I mean, I I just I only know what I don't see in the commercials. Yeah. yeah. When I have a migraine, I will sometimes be or often mm-hmm. will be sick to my stomach as well. Oh, and really? So I just the only thing that makes it go away is sleep. Really? At least for me. Oh. And uh, yeah, so I'll lay in bed and with maybe a pillow over my head, or I have a sleep mask. Uh-huh. I'll wear that, uh-huh. but I'm not going to go somewhere else. Right. Like, I want to be someplace comfortable. Now you wouldn't go. Would you yeah. go in your closet? No, I would not go in my closet. Okay. So. I can't see her doing that. Okay, got you. And I don't think that they, I'm just guessing. This is just speculation. Sure. I don't think that the family suggested that she did that. I think they just were talking. And it's like, yeah, sometimes she has migraines. And then the the investigators were like, oh, I bet she went in there because she had a migraine. You know, something like that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But like I said, I'm just speculating. That's okay. This is another instance of authorities who should be open to all possibilities, grab onto one thing, which is the wrong detail, and run with it. And go with it. Yeah. But yeah, because there were no witnesses and no evidence of a crime, except for her missing stuff. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Thanks. Thanks, Fred. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's been a long day. I, you're right. She was, yes, yeah. there's that too. I, I just realized that, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But her room did seem undisturbed. Okay. And she had a medical history, which might explain why she died. Mm-hmm. NCIS forensic agents thought she could have died of natural causes. And a medical examiner's report ruled the cause of death to be undetermined. But some did suspect foul play and others suspected suicide. Interesting. So Avila Torres offered to help the agents with their investigation. That's that's serial killer behavior. Yeah. He volunteered to. <laughs> an, let me help. Let me yeah. Help. <laughs> I'm only here to serve. He volunteered to be a quote unquote inside source for NCIS. Mm-hmm. They accepted and asked Avila Torres to spread a rumor that there was a witness who saw someone entering Amanda's room on the night she died. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Nothing came of it. And the case went cold. Gee, I wonder why. Seriously. It, like, ser- this is, what the fuck? So on February 5th through the 6th in 2010, a blizzard, which has been commonly referred to as Snowmageddon. <laughs> oh, I remember it. You remember I Snowmageddon? I remember it, Yeah. 
So it hit the northeastern United States, and it brought rail and highway travel to a halt and shut down governments and schools. Mm -hmm. Roads were either impassable or nearly empty, and a lot of people were walking to the places that they needed to go. Yeah, I'll never forget a story of a dad who had to pick up his kid from daycare. The roads were shut down, and he walked like hours to go get his kid. I guess I would, too. That's what I would have done, too, but man, oh, man, oh, that's awful. Yeah. But during this time, two police officers, T.L. Clifford and Andrew Newselli, noticed a silver Dodge Durango SUV cruising the streets, sometimes parking and idling. He seemed to be watching people. Clifford made note of the license plate, shout out to Clifford, and the two officers compared notes. They both felt that this guy, who was a young, clean-cut Latinx male, was up to no good. Officer Clifford called in the plate number, but it came back clean and the officers had nothing to pull him over for. But they did keep an eye out for him, and I think they kept seeing him over... The kept returning, yeah. Yeah, and they I think they only noticed him because there were so few people driving mm-hmm. out on the streets. Mm-hmm. And so if not for Snowmageddon, they may not have noticed him. Mm, that's a good point. That's a good point. Thank you. Oh, gee, I'm a true <laughs> crime. She did it again. <laughs> so on February 10th, 2010, Katie Mills, that's not her real name, by the way. This woman was a 26-year-old nurse was walking to her boyfriend's house in Arlington after a late shift at the hospital. Avila Torres approached her from behind, grabbed her jacket, showed her a gun, and told her to keep quiet and keep walking. Yeah, so Katie Mills is a name that's used in the media, but it's not her real name. She wants to remain anonymous, so. All right, well, let's respect it. Yes. Yeah. Katie told Avila Torres to just take her back, but he kept pushing her towards a Dodge Durango. Then he pulled out a knife, but she still refused to get into the SUV and told him to just take her bag, which she then tossed into a pile of snow, which confused him. And then she bolted towards her boyfriend's Aww, house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She started screaming as she got to his door and he and his roommates came out when they heard her. The man and the Durango were gone, but they called 911 and Katie helped police create a composite picture of her would-be abductor. However, she thought the Durango had been tan, not silver. Yeah, so they did not connect it to the silver Durango. Right. A little more than two weeks later, on February 26, 2010, Aula Torres entertained a friend from Okinawa in his barracks by showing off a new handgun. Yay! (laughs) Yay, guns! (laughs) (laughs) The pair ate takeout food before they took Avila Torres' Durango and drove past the White House, then wandered around Washington's Chinatown neighborhood before parting for the evening. Around 2 a.m. the next morning, February 27th, a woman named Hannah Smith was walking up to her house in Arlington when a man approached her from behind, told her he had a gun, and demanded that she get in his car. The two struggled, and the man used a stun gun. What? But Hannah managed to get away, got inside her house, and called 911. Yay, Hannah. So he's tried to, like, attack he's two tried, like, people. all yeah. different, all different ways, yeah. too. Yeah, and it's not working out. Not working yet. Yeah. yeah. And that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. But then bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. About an hour and a half later, around 3.30 a.m., two female graduate students, Julie Thomas and Karen Marlotti, which is also not their real names, were walking to Karen's house in Arlington County. They were both 23 years old and had become friends in the fall of 2009. As they stopped in front of the house, Avila Torres emerged from behind a parked car. 
He moved a sweatshirt to the side to show the women that he had a gun and demanded their wallets. After the women told him they had no money, he forced them into Karen's house and ordered them to kneel down next to the couch. He then bound their hands with a vacuum cord. At one point, when Avila Torres left the room, the women were able to loosen their hands. Avila Torres returned to the room with a knife, retied Julie's hands with an iron cord, then ordered the women to go to the bedroom. So he didn't plan this out. Not at all. just grabbing things from the house yeah. to tie them up with. Yeah. yeah. So when he left the bedroom to search for tape, Karen threw herself against the door and slammed it shut. Yes! The man had patted them down, but hadn't found Julie's cell phone. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm just, it, it sounds like a movie. She was also yeah. able to reach into her pocket and dial 911. And then she dropped the phone into a laundry basket. But the man barged back in, grabbed the cell phone and smashed it against the wall. He then took Julie by the arm and led her out of the house and into the street, the iron dangling below her tied hands. Karen tried to follow to help her friend, but she was still tied to the vacuum. So instead, she screamed and banged the vacuum cleaner around until her roommate woke up, came downstairs, and called 911. Avila Torres forced Julie into the Durango. After he drove for some time, he stopped, got in the back seat with Julie, and told her he was going to rape her. He put on a condom saying, quote, I'm not an idiot, unquote, and then raped her. I don't know. I'd have to disagree. Uh, I think tol- he is an idiot. Totally. Yeah. This is not a subjective yeah. matter. This is cl- it's this is an objective finding. You are a yes. dumbass um, and a terrible person. After he assaulted her, he covered her face with packing tape, then drove to a secluded area and assaulted her again. He then took Julie's scarf and tightened it around her neck until she was unconscious. So now let's get into the investigation and the arrest. What the what, Beth? So Arlington police went on high alert. They set up a command center and put out an all-points bulletin for an abducted female. Hannah Smith was interviewed. She described her would-be abductor as a short, young guy. Karen Marlotti described her abductor in the same way, saying, quote, He looked so young. He could have passed for a high schooler, unquote. That same morning, Thomas and Lynn Love were driving to Potomac Town Center in Woodbridge. They took the scenic route and were enjoying the drive when they noticed something moving in a power line clearing. Thomas slowed, steered towards the roadside, and stopped. He and his wife Lynn got out for a closer look. They walked towards the clearing, uncertain at first whether they were looking at an animal or a person. Mm. But it was a woman, caked with ice and shoeless, crawling towards them. Mm, Wow. No words. Yeah. Blood was coming from her head, and she was shivering and turning blue. Lynn wrapped her in a coat, took her into the truck, and turned on the heat. They called 911. Julie told the loves that she had been raped and beaten. When Julie was interviewed by police, she told them that the man had been driving a silver SUV. Officers Clifford and Nuccelli remembered the Durango they had noticed cruising aimlessly during Snowmageddon. Officer Clifford, I love you. Anyway, they were able to match the license plate that they'd run during the time to Avila Torres. Police then showed Katie Mills a photo lineup, and she was able to pick out Avila Torres as her would-be abductor. Avila Torres was arrested later that day at Joint Base Meyer-Henderson Hall. Police searched his Durango and found Julie's university ID and an earring, packing tape, and a stun gun, as well as a clothes iron, the cord of which was used to bind Julie. 
In his barracks room, they found a loaded Glock 22 pistol, which he had purchased on February 5th, and multiple rounds of ammunition. They also seized his laptop and accessories, which contained dozens of sexually explicit videos and images depicting violent rapes and sexual assaults, which were stored between April 2009 and February 2010. And I apologize for giving these details, so uh, fast forward. Many videos were sleeping rape videos, meaning someone is sleeping and is uh, attacked or raped. Avila Torres' DNA profile was entered into a national database. To the surprise of investigators, it matched the DNA evidence found on Laura Hobbs's body. Jerry Hobbs spent a total of five years in jail awaiting trial before prosecutors dropped the murder charges against him and refiled them against Avila Torres. Finally. Finally, yeah. In August of 2010, Michael Waller, the state's attorney, told reporters he was releasing Hobbs because they could no longer prove his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Is that a euphemism for I fucked up? Uh, I think so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So while Avila Torres was awaiting trial for the Arlington crimes, he was held in the Arlington County Detention Facility. Investigators arranged to have a federal inmate act as a confidential informant, and they recorded conversations between the two of them. Their conversations were recorded for approximately a week in August 2010. During those conversations, Avila Torres confessed to murdering Amanda Snell. He said that he entered Snell's room through her unlocked door, jumped on her as she slept in her bed, bound her wrists with the power cord from her laptop computer, and strangled her with the rest of the cord. Mm. He then dragged Amanda's body from the bed to her wall locker, in which he hid her body. Then he made the bed and thoroughly cleaned the room, taking the top sheet from her bed, but leaving the fitted sheet. He also confessed to killing Laura Hobbs and Crystal Tobias and denied feeling any sort of guilt about it. He suggested that he killed the girls because they had witnessed him engaging in some type of drug activity, which is bullshit. Yeah. And he also laughed about the fact that police had charged the wrong man. Oh, nah, he needs to burn in hell. So NCIS expedited testing of the fitted sheet from Amanda's room. And technicians discovered a semen stain consistent with Avila Torres' DNA. They also compared his Nike shoes with the footwear impressions found in front of Snell's wall locker. A government latent print examiner later testified that the shoes that made the impressions were consistent in size, design, and wear with Avila Torres' shoes. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. So now let's get into the trial. So in 2010, Avila Torres was tried for the crimes against Julie Thomas and Karen Marlotti. 
He was convicted in Arlington County Circuit Court for abduction with intent to defile, robbery, use of a firearm in a felony, abduction, rape, breaking and entering while armed, and forcible sodomy. Julie testified in court that she was tormented by flashbacks. Quote, I can't sleep and I'm just angry and upset all the time. He's changed the way I live my life, unquote. On December 10th, 2010, Avila Torres was given five life sentences, mm. followed by consecutive sentences totaling 168 years. And on May 26, 2011, Avila Torres was indicted for the murder of Amanda Snell. The indictment alleged aggravating factors supporting a death sentence. I was going to say. That was a nice podcast. That's a nice, that's a nice <laughs> sentence. That's a nice sentence. So the trial began on March 31st, 2014. The prosecution called more than 30 witnesses over the course of four days and introduced hundreds of pages of exhibits. Avila Torres' counsel cross-examined the government's witnesses, but only presented one witness. Hmm. On April 8th, 2014, the jury returned a guilty verdict. Avila Torres was sentenced to death for the murder of Amanda Snell. Then Avila Torres was extradited from Virginia's Red Onion State Prison to Lake County to face charges in the murders of eight-year-old Laura Hobbs and nine-year-old Crystal Tobias. In that case, Avila Torres took a plea deal. The judge accepted Avila Torres' guilty plea, calling his crimes, quote, cruel, cold-blooded, and devoid of mercy, unquote. And he sentenced him to 100 years in prison. Great. So he's never getting out. No. Yeah. <laughs> So now let's get into where are they now? Tell us, Beth. Avila Torres is currently incarcerated in Virginia. I could not find out where. Okay. Well, um, I, I don't know if anybody listening is interested in contacting him, but yeah. Uh, yeah. that's don't fine care. by me. <laughs> uh, in, in Beulah Park in Zion, where the bodies of Crystal, Tobias, and Laura Hobbs were found, a plaque marks a small tree planted in their memory. That's beautiful. Yeah. The girls' killing in 2005 and the flawed police investigation that followed focused national attention on the issue of wrongful convictions, and specifically in Lake County, Illinois, mm. where five innocent men were wrongly convicted and DNA evidence that exonerated them was ignored by Michael Waller, the Lake County prosecutor at the time. Mm, I hope he's fired. Yeah. County authorities earned a national reputation for imprisoning innocent men. It's not a good look mm -mm. in ignoring evidence of their own errors. In four of the five cases, prosecutors under former state's attorney Michael Waller continued prosecuting the men after forensic evidence had indicated their innocence. What? That's awful. That's not, yeah. that's not why you're elected. That's not what no, you're, that doesn't that's protect not what you're supposed to be citizens. doing. No, Ugh. no, no. So those five men served a total of 80 years in prison. Oh, my God. Jerry Hobbs was one of those five. And Hobbs sued after his exoneration and in 2013 received more than $6 million from various law enforcement agencies in Lake County. I'd say that's great, but it doesn't bring, you know, the girls no, back. It doesn't bring the girls back. It doesn't bring the time that he... I mean, he lost those five years yeah. that he was in prison. Yeah, and didn't so, get to yeah. grieve with his partner no. or with his surviving kids, right? Like, yeah. it's just, it's awful. Yeah, his kids didn't have him there mm -hmm. to, to lean on, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awful. So the money didn't help. But after yeah. being released in 2010, Hobbs returned to Wichita Falls, Texas, a small city near the Texas-Oklahoma border. 
Since then, he's been arrested for drug possession, evading arrest, tampering with evidence, and escaping from jail. But I believe he's a victim of the system. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's why I included these details. Yeah, I'm glad you did. Yeah, Mm -hmm. um, it fucked him up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I mean, let's get into it. Tell us. Yeah, let's get into (laughs) it. We're going to get into (laughs) our takeaways and what we think made Jorge Avila Torres snap. So what are your thoughts on this, Beth? So what made him snap? So I don't really know. I mean, he may have had an abusive childhood, Mm -hmm. but he also, he was, a lot of people noted that he was a small guy. Mm -hmm. He looked young. Mm -hmm. He was awkward with girls. Mm -hmm. He probably felt inadequate. Yeah. I think he may have been like an incel. Yeah. And that can be dangerous if, yeah. I mean, an incel is essentially a man who's not good at or incapable of forming outside relationships and as a result is involuntarily celibate. Right. But it also it's usually a guy who refuses to believe that it's anything about themselves that is the problem. The problem is outside of themselves. It's the world's fault. It's the world's fault. And specifically women. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Thank you. I, and yeah. <laughs> it's been, I feel like it's been a while since we heard at Incel like as a, a I, yeah, have, I haven't heard it much since in a while. Yeah, yeah. 2016. So I listened to a podcast about Incels mm-hmm. and it was how, how the name started. And it didn't start that way. It I think started, it was started by as, a woman even. A woman. Yeah. Yeah. Who was, yeah, just talking about not being able to find somebody to date. Yeah. And then it turned into this whole incel movement. Mm -hmm. And yeah, a lot of them are very angry, but they refuse to believe that it's anything. Refuse to to look inside, do a little inside. Yeah. And heal themselves. Yeah. Because that's the problem. Right. Is it's the ego. It's internal. Yeah. 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 There's something wrong. They need some counseling. And, you know, maybe a class on social skills or something right, would yeah. be helpful. Teaching, yeah. yeah, teaching people who struggle with this how to how to yeah. do it, I think, yeah. would be, you know, a good solution. But yeah. he didn't find it. <laughs> yeah, he didn't do that. He got angry at women, apparently, yeah, and uh, yeah. killed them. Yeah. And I think he targeted Crystal. Well, at the time he was 16, they were little girls, so they were easy targets. Yeah. But also Crystal was Alberto's little sister. And I think he was jealous of Alberto and he may have targeted Crystal because he wanted to get back at him or something like that. Yeah. It might have been. He may not have even realized that that's what he was doing. But uh, yeah, I think there was totally an element sub- of subconscious. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and um, Crystal is the one who was stabbed more times I and in the eyeballs know. i don't re- yeah i think that was actually laura oh okay i think laura was actually stabbed more oh, okay. but i'm not i'm not 100 percent. okay and he was described by the women that he attacked uh-huh. the ones who got away uh-huh. as disorganized yeah i'll say yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i mean evidence of that is like he didn't bring stuff with him mm-hmm. he was like doing things on the fly mm-hmm. looking for tape yeah while they were trying to get away yeah you know yeah it's like he wanted to do these things, but and, and like he was stalking these women, mm-hmm. but he hadn't really thought through the particulars of how to do it. Right. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think he was the sharpest crayon in the box. No, it doesn't <laughs> sound like it. It doesn't yeah, sound like it. Yeah. And this is a really sad story. I and it so never too. ceases to amaze me how some evil idiot feels like it's OK to kill, even rape and kill children. Yeah. Because... 
he feels inadequate. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I mean, he was bragging about this when he was in yeah. prison to that confidential informant. Yeah, exactly. And no shame, no remorse, no nothing. Just nothing. Yeah. I can't imagine what would lead a person to that conclusion. That, yeah. That, it's disgusting. Yeah. And the police and prosecutors in Lake County during this time can eat a bag eat of dicks. Eat a bag 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 of dicks. That's what I have to say. Also, yeah. there's so many bags of dicks that need to be mailed out yes. to Jorge Aviles Torres, the biggest yeah. piece of basura. Why don't you put some caca in that ship as well? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, to do that to, I, I'll never understand, like, physically hurting another person but a child just is wild what though what in the world yeah Yeah. and you know it seemed like he did well in the military yeah after he he, he escaped the law and went on the lam and joined the military but it sounded like he was kind of a high-ranking person no i think he was a corporal okay as i i assume yeah. corporal was important like high i don't know i don't know anything about rankings i'm a regular <laughs> person with no extra letters before my name or after it so i don't understand any of these military police rankings it's all gibberish to me but i heard one podcaster say actually she was talking to mama margo oh, okay about this case and said she knew him as Corporal Avila Torres. He went to her house, even held her baby. Oh my but it's, God. it's just like you were saying, he's, he was a monster, the worst kind, hiding in plain sight. Yeah. And that's, I think, what's most terrifying about this case is he was a regular looking, unassuming person with demons, I mean, capital D, about his insecurities and took it out on people who were vulnerable or that he thought were vulnerable or less deserving of life than him. I don't know exactly what it was, but I know he wasn't. Yeah, just like you said, vulnerable. Mm -hmm. This case was super disturbing for a number of reasons, but I have a kid that's the same age as Laura Hobbs and Crystal yeah. Tobias. And I, yeah, and my grandson is that age, yeah, too. And I just couldn't. The gory details were hard to stomach. But if the police hadn't had their blinders on after the murder of those two little girls, just assuming that Laura's father was guilty because of his past and not considering right. all the evidence in front of them in the present to yeah. investigate the case, it's just... It's awful. It's horrible. And, you know, for them, it was like, case closed. We win. Yay. But really, nobody won. And again, it really had this entire, like, years-long situation has had lasting effects on lots of people. Lots of people. And I I mean, I was thinking about, what about, like, Laura's siblings? You know, like, where are they and how are they? Or Laura's mom, and we know about her dad because he was a really important part to the story. But like, I wonder about their families. Like, and how are they? I know that there's a memorial, but like, how, like for reals, like, how are you guys? Are you how are mm-hmm. you guys after all of this? Yeah. And normally, normally with like perpetrators and people who harm other people, it's usually people you're more likely to be like hurt by somebody you know or a family member, yeah. right? But right. this guy was a complete stranger. And my impression, all I got to say is this case broke my heart. So I feel bad for everybody, Amanda's family. And then the women who survived the attacks, I'm glad they get to still keep their anonymity. But 
they were robbed of peace of mind. Yes. And maybe now they don't feel like they're victims. I don't know because they're they're anonymous and we, we don't know their stories. I haven't read their books, but I just wonder how they are doing. Yeah. Because so much can be taken away and uh, traumatized within you after an attack like that. So, but yeah. shout out to them for surviving. I hope they're okay. Yeah. Yeah. So now let's get into how not to get murdered. <clears throat> okay. So... If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So what you got, Wendy? So I was thinking about this case and what it made me Mm -hmm. think of. Like the girls who were, I don't know how Avila convinced them, but they were in theory in a really safe place. A Sunday, a Mother's Day, lots of family around. They got their buddies. The buddy system's supposed to work. Right. Crowded places are safe places. But it just wasn't in this case. But I I think for the most part, they are. Obviously, nothing is 100%. But I still think these are good things to keep in mind. Also, I thought about the victims who survived their attacks, who had household items tied around them. Just that old, it's an old tip we've given in the past. But if you can grab an item, like an iron that's tied to your hands or a nearby vacuum cleaner or a purse and throw it, you know, like one of the victims did. Use whatever is available to you to get away. Yeah. Is what I thought of. So okay, this case, this was, this was a lot. Yeah. But if you have any how not to get murder tips, get at us. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about any other marginalized folks and any true crime goodies. So I just got two. First off, Mama Margot has a two-part episode about this case. Yeah. And it is really good. Really well done. So shout out to Mama Margot and uh, the Military Murder podcast. Also, Beyond the Rainbow, True Crimes of the LGBTQ podcast. We've shouted them out before. CJ is our podcast play cousin. (laughs) But specifically episode four of season 14. And it's titled WTF. What the fuck is a turf? T-E-R-F. Yeah, what is what the fuck is a turf? Oh my god, it's it's a <laughs> feminist who's an it's an anti-trans feminist, but I don't know what the I don't know, and I, I but I got the gist. It's it's a somebody who's weaponizing feminism against trans people, and the most famous of all is J.K. Rowling. So yes, but it was for me really informative, right? I'm I'm trying to like be a better ally to everybody. <laughs> And so it was really informative and it shed a lot of light on violent crimes against trans men and women during their incarceration. And she got into details about how the prison systems in the U.S. and the U.K. cause a lot of harm to trans people by just refusing to honor their identities and placing them in a safe place. So that's what I got. What do you got? So I wanted to shout out a true crime goodie, American Nightmare on Netflix. Have you seen that one? Bitch, I did. And I couldn't (laughs) believe what yeah. I was watching. I'm not done yet. Oh, you're not. Okay. No. It's a wild story. Oh, wild. Mike, I'm at yeah. the part where they kidnapped her and they tell her, well, you got to make it look like you like it. Uh, so we'll let, we yeah. can let you go. Otherwise, we're going to yeah. release. Uh, like it, it just 
I mean, just Nuts. wild. Yeah. Okay, wild is an understatement. Yes, I've seen. Yeah. I'm, I'm, more, I'm <laughs> in the midst of it. <laughs> and then uh, the second one I wanted to shout out was is the the Godmother podcast, and what? it's about Eunice Carter, who is one of the first Black women to ever become a prosecutor in America, and she prosecuted Lucky Luciano. Is that a mobster? Yes, uh, Lucky Luciano is a mobster. Okay. The Godmother. The Godmother. Godmother. There it is. Fuck yeah. <laughs> okay, this looks yeah, like a bitch like not it. to be messed with. Um, yep. So just to <laughs> recap those things, Beyond the Rainbow, True Crimes of the LGBT Podcast, Season 14, Episode 4, WTF is a Turf, Military Murder Podcast, hosted by Mama Margot, a true crime goodie, American Nightmare on Netflix, oh boy, and the Godmother podcast about Eunice Carter. And, oh, look, that's the end of the show. It's the end. Oh, my God. It oh, my God. <laughs> uh, well, that's okay. You know, we won't be around for another week. But in the meantime, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show. Also, join us on Patreon, where we have literally hundreds of hours of bonus content. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors, by giving us a five-star review. Five stars only, Five stars please. only, please. <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe. Yes. This is a weekly podcast, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. ready-ish uh <laughs> i'm just okay let's do this quick sip okay let's do whoa, it quick sip whoa whoa no no not there quick tip of c i mean sip of tea <laughs> that's that's serial killer behavior yeah he volunteered to <laughs> let an... me help let me <laughs> yeah help. <laughs> i'm only here to serve i don't know i'd have to disagree uh, I a think to totally yeah this is not a subjective yeah matter this is it's this is an objective finding you are a yes. dumbass um yeah fuck off but yeah. also but, yeah yeah okay oh gee i'm true crime she did it again <laughs> um where are we uh, sorry i, I went on a tangent i didn't finish that oh i did no it's your turn by the time yeah it's my okay. turn okay <laughs> You're trying to get at the truth, asshole. Right, and do the right yeah. thing. This has been <laughs> Migraine Corner with Beth. <laughs> no, uh, 
I don't know if I said Snowmageddon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my brain's I starting heard to shut Snowmageddon. off. Snowmageddon. Yeah, that's mega wow. church money. There is also a very large, oh, there's also, never mind, because it'd be hard to chase somebody around with a chainsaw that's plugged in. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. In my head, oh, this would be over as soon as he got far enough away from the socket. <laughs> but eating pork, swine. Wow. Wow. Man. Yeah. So who's to say? My guess is no. (laughs) So (laughs) hang on a second. (laughs) MC Beth in the house. (laughs) So Chicago's a perfect place for this man. Anyway, (laughs) Dowie chose. Well, this is what he says, nigga. The Lord Hill song? Lord Hill's baby? (laughs) Now the joy of my world is in Zion. Um, yay. <laughs> yay, guns. <laughs> because why not? <laughs> um, surprise, 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 surprise. <laughs> Nothing came of it. But I think he was just an equal opportunity scammer. Oh, you know who I learned? <laughs> Eat a bag of dicks. Eat a bag of dicks. Eat a bag of dicks. Uh, that's what I have to say. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939 when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era like Cuba and Vietnam And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.